Welcome to the RNEgate podcast, a revolutionary approach to continuing education for nurses by nurses who just want to shine a light on the innovators, the creatives, the renegades who are blowing up the boxes that the rest of the world is still trying to think outside of. On today's podcast, we have Nancy Ruffner. Nancy is, well, she's a social worker, but that's kind of like calling Wolfgang Puck a chef, if you know what I mean. Nancy is a board-certified patient advocate and owner of Navigate NC. She earned a bachelor's in social work from Western Carolina University and a graduate certificate in counselor education from NC State University. The growing field of professional patient advocacy is young, and Nancy was among the first in the nation to earn the BCPA, that's Board Certified Patient Advocate, credential. She founded Navigate NC, uh, an advocacy company whose services help families to meet the challenges that normally come with aging or with chronic conditions. Since 2013, the company has emerged as a fast-growing agency with the goal of becoming a market leader for patient advocacy services in the Southeast. And now Nancy teaches other people how to become patient advocates and also inspires social workers, nurses, people that she teaches in a problem solution kind of way, best summed up in what Nancy says, I needed a me and I couldn't find one. So I became one. Don't forget also, if you're a nurse and you want a CE credit for listening to this, you can head over to rnegade.pro. That's R-N-E-G-A-D-E.pro afterward. Sign up and get your CE. Till then, enjoy Nancy Ruffner. Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Why isn't this a CE? CE by podcast. Mind-blowing. People don't even know people like her exist. Renegades. I had to have the people who didn't believe in me. Between one day and the next, everything changed. Somebody found you. Thank God they found you. Shining a light on those people. And by the way, you're going to be inspired. You can't contain this, Sybil. You can't contain it. Nurses know how to solve shit. Nailed it. Renegades. Just tell us a little bit about your background, because I just want our listeners to know what it is you do, and then Karen will dig deep, because she always does. That's fine. And then, you know, make sure that I'm talking to the right target audience. Make sure that. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll give you, you got the client avatar before we got on here, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, there, okay. there isn't one. Thank you. <laughs> you just Thank go you. and you, you be you. Yeah, sure. SW, uh, Bachelor of Science and Social Work when Dinosaurs Run There. Uh, you know, back in the day when women went into social sciences and education, curtsy, and men went into business. Now, had I gone into business with the other five women who were brave enough to do that, my life would have been markedly different. I got out with social work, put my cape on, saved the world, burnt out. Nancy did not understand professional boundaries and how to set them for herself and her heart and her mind or took <laughs> everything else that was on her horizon. So social work, 
some production manufacturing in North, when North Carolina was still a manufacturing because my father was in human resources and the whole human resources book, 30 years of that at the dinner table is what got me started working with people. Then I, inside sales, outside sales, consulting and uh, you know, deciding what I could represent and what I couldn't live with, how I could be congruent, how I couldn't. And then uh, most recently, the I went back to school 30 years later, and my master's work was in counselor education, kind of a community track. And I was working in an EAP and a headset, the call center, and doing what I do now, assessment, intake, uh, you know, intake assessment, research, referral, bye-bye, good luck, here's a tip sheet. And uh, I wanted more boots on ground. Yeah. So like everybody else, I got a story. I helped my aging parents and was probably too verbose about that because people said, hang out your shingle, hang out your shingle. And my my no became a, well, I could, became a, um, I did. Eight and a half years patient advocacy. I'm board certified because our board certification became available in our very young industry only in 2018. I'm a mentor for two professional organizations. And because our industry is so young, I would be an upperclassman. I don't know whether that's social promotion or not. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I became a mentor in a couple of the professional organizations and people were going around that saying, coach me, coach me, coach me. And so, because I had other things I was going to do. I had written coursework and delivered it and I had intellectual property and I was going to wait for my phone to go ding in the middle of the night, you know, that I sold something. And that's not at all what happened. Even before the pandemic, people were saying, you know, please coach me. I'm new. I'm young in business. What did they want you to coach them for? And what's the intellectual property? Is it your methodology or your your patient advocacy process or? The, I, the IP was a course called the Consumer's Guide to Healthcare Advocacy. And I taught people how to be safe in the hospital, how to uh, choose healthcare, how to navigate systems, how to build teams, um, how to formulate your questions and take them forward to the right person, avoid pitfalls, handle debacle, <laughs> all of that. And that's still there. And it'll, be there and it'll have its time and place in the sun that does or will have its place in the sun because you know the joint commission already says that everyone's required to have an advocate so once it becomes the standard of care i can see that hospitals and organizations will want to buy your program so that they can teach their patients how to best advocate for themselves Exactly. And there are some organizations that are really into patient safety, and that's good. A lot of them are patient advocates. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. One of the professional organizations, NAC, uh, National Association of Healthcare Advocacy Consultants, has it right on their homepage, patient advocate for every patient. Mm-hmm. And that's their goal. It should be like, if you cannot afford attorney, one will be provided for you. It is right so on. important to have somebody that speaks the judicial language. And it's even more important to have somebody that speaks the medical language because I agree. I just heard me say this mantra so many times before. It's one, you're risking fine or freedom. The other is injury or death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Now, Karen, what was the other question? <laughs> you had two. There were two. Oh, parts. I don't remember the second one, but the, the third one was going to be, have you ever done theater? Not for a while. So the answer, yes. I'm a patron. 
yeah, you know, we did we did high school and college stuff, but nothing beyond. Uh, well, now I do it, you know, monthly free webinars that are somewhat entertaining and conversations like this that, you know, like you ladies, we throw in some zingers because people remember when they're having fun and when they're learning, you know? Right. Well, yes. So let's have some fun. Totally. Yes, ma'am. Well, I mean, and it goes with the territory. Somebody who, who can emote and project like you do is usually somebody who wears their heart on their sleeve is usually somebody who hands their heart to others and is usually somebody who gets their heart breaking and burns out, broken and burns out. I have learned some barriers. Now I teach some barriers because I left the whole industry for many years. It was funny. I came close, you know, the social work, social work was so close. And then I went into business because the whole time I was on social work, I was like, look at business. And then, then when I went into business, it was like, I'm not providing a quality service. So I'm looking for this way to do sales and social work. And I got it. You know, that EAP was close. That was sales and social work because I helped build a legal panel and had to talk attorneys. We had to build a legal panel of law firms nationwide that would serve our covered insurance lives. And so my job was to contact attorneys and and get them agreed to take 25% of their, uh, to discount 25% of their usual and customary. Yeah. <laughs> Before I feel this stupid for much longer, EAP? Um, employee assistance program. When okay, you work you. for a mid-level or a major employer, uh, you know, it's that thing that started out as, as rehab and then uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, clinical crisis lines has now expanded into rehab, clinical crisis lines, daycare, same-day emergency daycare, adult daycare, daily living, elder care teams, uh, legal teams. It's a huge benefit package, and you probably have a 1-800 poster on your wall at work that says your EAP can help you with. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm, that's what got me under the headset. I'm training in elder care. I'm talking to attorneys, which I just love. And um um, you know, it's preparing me for what, for what I'm doing now. Um, so I moved all around, lots of headsets, and uh, then took it, on, took it on the streets. <laughs> wow. So, well, you mentioned earlier that you had a little bit of heartbreak, got burned out, got like, we always like to know, like, what is a defining moment where your day looked different from one day? To the and it, when you said that, I was like, oh. I wonder if that was the you mean coming back from burnout or realizing what well, I wanted to do right here. There, there was a there was a day where you went no more. Not gonna play anymore. Before that, you're like, oh, I can handle it longer. Oh, this is part of the job. And then one day you just went, can't do this anymore. Um, caring too much, and at the time working for state government at glacier speed, and <laughs> <laughs> I'd had feedback. Even when I was in undergrad, Nancy wants change too fast. So I'm going along with state government. Oh. Then I went with publicly traded. Well, we can get things done, but we have to do what our stakeholders want. See, see, see. And then I went with privately owned. That EAP was privately owned. And if Dean said we were going to do it, it was up and running in two days. And I love that. I love the fast response. You know, that was fast. And I enjoy that kind of play. As a patient advocate, I can work to hasten things. 
uh, I can uh, I can grease a wheel and carry you know, further conversations and make things happen and rattle chains and make life difficult for those who won't play with my clients. And so, yeah, that's it, I like being able to affect change. And that's why today's conversation is so interesting to me because when people join my industry and one similar to it, sister industries, they're wanting flexibility, they're wanting change, they want to use their expertise for the greater good. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. Nancy, do you find that the advocating for patients on a one-to-one basis is a slow slog too? Because I've found that it's, yes, it helps. Yes, it creates better outcomes. Yes, I can hasten the process and get people better medical care. But again, it was like, oh my gosh, this is still just one patient at a time. So do you think that's true? And if you do, or even if you don't, what is the bigger picture? Like, how do we get change to happen faster? I like all of it. The slow slog, as you put it, is sometimes it's a bit of a lock and dam. You know, you're going down the Panama Canal and you're looking both ways because that's part of our job, too. We've got the long term goal or it's like a football game. You know, you're playing for the first down. You're not playing for the goalpost yet. And as you got to get in, you got to get the markers have to be brought out. and You have to figure out how far you've got to go. And then you run your plays accordingly. I like the strategy and the psychology of it. I like involving the people to effect the change. I like the educating as we go part. And so if it is a slow slog or a difficult case, or it takes a 180 as they are wont to do, then, you know, it's the education. It's the tactics, it's the strategy, it's the psychology. I love it. <laughs> now for me, I like to have a toe in both water. I'm, I am an active patient advocate and I am a small business, small agency owner, and I am a coach and somebody who likes to do the education speaking thing because, well, I think there's needs in, in each of those intersections. But speaking, coaching, education part, I think is a new form of advocacy for me. I see it as such. It's great if I can help one person and be a better small business owner, better service provider, to know how to connect with people and get those new clients. It's great if I can help one, but if I can help five, 15 or 50, because the need, as we've discussed, is so great. Yeah. So great. And so for me to help people, meet people at the on-ramp and take it up, you know, be there right with them. We're, we're, we're going into the fast lane. Let's go and, and ride with them. Uh, and get them where they need to be. I want to just go back. So let's say on the timeline, we're here in the conversation, and I want to go back to here because there's something that you know that I think is very important for anyone who's a social worker or who's a nurse who's going to be a patient advocate and bring the road back here. Yeah. There, there was... We all have a story. I know Antra does. I certainly do. I call it my puddle of snot and tears moment where... There was a moment where I decided I'm not doing that anymore. And what we try to do and, and bring into a lot of the conversations we had is how do you tell people who are listening to this how not to get to that point? And what is it about you that you've seen in your life where you kind of, you grew up, you kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you found the courage to be disliked 
maybe is another word for it or like there's a switch you know for so many and i could tell for you that you know you're a formidable i think i know what you're talking about it's that point where you're trying to do your best you feel like you're making a difference you want to make more of a difference and you're tamping it down you're holding yourself back you're trying not to let it show you're squelched and sometimes it's ourselves squelching ourselves and i can't dare say that yeah most of the time know? right for some um and that is the absolute freedom of what i do now uh, yeah i can say that because i am not beholden to that provider I'm, and at this time i am a fee-for-service uh, small business person and so um you know i'm not beholden to an insurance company i'm not beholden to a big box, big systems hospital. And those intersections are out there. So many people, I can't say anything because you know, that's my paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> and when I got tired of squelching myself or being squelched, when I felt like it was showing, you know, there was so much cognitive dissonance inside of me. I couldn't, I couldn't swallow it anymore. And it's one of those, I gotta be me kind yeah. of things. And that's when I said, you know, I need to make a change that is more in line with using my skills. And yes, it takes some conversation with some other people that see, people see it in me before I see it in myself. Mm -hmm. And that's why people were saying, hang out your shingle. No, I can't. Hang out. And, and, and people coming to me asking me for things and then me going to you know what coach doesn't have a coach so I have have had some really good coaches along the way who could see things in me lead me through thought processes like you know what are what are your skills what are your what do you like what do you not like uh, but also helping me see what really needs to be and remain on the forefront and what do I need to walk from that is not serving me or anyone else um, and so, you know, it's a process of, it's like playing cards, you know, you got to draw and look at your card and, and then you might, you might play your card, you might discard your card and you're remembering what you've drawn before. So you don't repeat <laughs> a mm -hmm. bad decision, hopefully. And so you know, there's just time. That's a great metaphor. <laughs> it, it really was. It is a lot like playing cards. You know, for me, I got to my I can't take it anymore and, and one of the joys I have now is when I'm, I'm working with one of the patient advocates that works with me and she's brand new we had just met with and signed engagement documents and this chick was ready to go we were seated in the courtyard of a skilled nursing facility and and she was ready to roll and she we signed and she went straight to the nurse's desk and on the way she's going I want to ask about xyz and i said sure go ahead that's that's right and she said can i say that and she and i said yes you can never saw a bigger grin she went right on in and took care of business with the confidence of utilizing her expertise with the passion to help a client and with a voice that was no longer squelched and, and the independence and the autonomy to say yes. whatever the hell she wanted to say that's exactly right. And she got it done, man. It was great. It was like the great thing to witness. That's what I wanted to hear. Cause now we're back at that point and that's probably 
most important thing that you give to in your coaching and in your clients is the, the how not to squelch because you had been there before. Is it? Well, it, 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 you know, that's the, the, what you've hit on is absolutely key for me in my coaching. I'm just coming to my clients as the former me. Everything that I've had to go through, live through, indoor, figure it out. You know, this is us, y'all, and this is why I do it. You know, I just say this is us. The world needs more of us. Or sometimes, as a, a professional colleague so aptly put it, was uh, I needed a me, and so I became one. Hmm, I love that. Isn't that something? I immediately asked for poetic license. <laughs> it's the decision it's the the knowing in your heart of hearts that you can make a difference in in knowing in your heart of hearts that you've got expertise to beat the band and you want to utilize that properly and in a way that frees you helps the client and the byproduct of all of this is that it frees you I, i talk to people every day that are contemplating moving into my industry or one similar, or certainly as a sole practitioner coming out of um, a system or a major employer. And they all ask me, how do I do that? And there are a number of things to weigh uh, about those decisions. You know, your expertise is likely in place. How cool is that? We can just write that one right off the table. We don't have to worry about that (laughs) because you've got it. And the good news is you're seeking, and I respect that. Anybody that calls me that's seeking, yeah, I'm in your corner. With nurses, so, you know, the expertise, wipe that one right off the list. So tell me more about what what that list includes, because a Uh, lot of nurses come to me and my business all the time. Oh, my gosh, I thought this was my own idea. This is amazing. How do I do this? Right, right, right. And I'm with you on that. At first, grass looks greener on the other side. Oh, boy, not going to have to work for the man or the woman or the system anymore. You know, I'm going to forge my own way. There are some important considerations. There are some paradigm shifts that we have to look at. Am I willing? Am I teachable? That's one, the unteachable. You're going to have to shift. If I'm a nurse and I'm thinking about leaving a hospital system or a major employer, well, yeah, the nuts and bolts, am I going to be able to make sufficient income? What am I going to do about health insurance myself? And then there's all of those personal decisions and, and decisions that affect, affect your family, et cetera. But it's also that shift. Can I go from somebody who is a cog in the wheel to somebody that all has to make all of the business decisions, okay? I was pretty good about going in and using my expertise, and I knew what was expected of me in that shift, and I could put it in the locker and go home at the end of my shift. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to pull it out until I go back to my locker. And I knew what was expected of me, and I followed procedures. There were procedures and orders. The shift is... Now I got to make procedures. I got to write procedures. I have to uh, figure out how I'm going to do this. And, and in such a way that it's, uh, if it becomes bigger than me, bigger than the gut guide, I like to call it. Uh, if it becomes bigger than me, then I've got to have standardization. I mean, I have a small agency, mind you. There are two other patient advocates and, uh, and my admin business manager. And we got standard operating procedures. Because 
mostly too standardized, but <laughs> you know, if one of us gets hit by the bus, then the others can pick up the slack. So, but getting back to what I was saying, people, you know, people have to realize, uh, make the decision, can I be an innovator? Can I develop a business? Here's another big one. If I'm in a hospital system or a major employer, the clients are always there. I've never had to go out and get a client. And that trips so many people up. They'll hang out their single and then wait for the phone to ring. And it doesn't. And it doesn't. And so now we have to learn about our client. And where are they? And how do I connect with them? And what's the marketing? What's the messaging? And which to me is exciting because I love the strategy and the uh, psychology of it all. But it's it's understanding that you know you you will be tasked with finding your clients and connecting with them, and that's new to a lot of people. Some people really like to go and do that. Oh, I want to network and, and I'm going to you know collaborate. And other people find it's much easier to find a small agency and go work under the wing. You know, work under the wing where you've got a little bit of procedure and then it, the option still exists to hang out my own. I've incubated four or five different folks, not, not all patient advocates, some aging life care. Uh, and that's fine because the more people out there that are serving the client, that's the most important thing is what does the client need? And who's the best person for the job? That's the deal. That's the tiebreaker right there. It was interesting because before I started patient advocacy, I knew that I was going to leave the system. I knew I was going to do something. And actually, I'd really like to build a surgery center. And so, you know, which at the end of the day was just too big for my brain to, to swallow. But I knew like, okay, I'm going to go down this road. It's going to be like a tree, grow branches. Something is going to come of it. But I, I grabbed a few people to go with me. And there were a couple nurses who were really like the shiny, sparkly object, but they just couldn't leave the hospital. They just couldn't leave what you're saying, like the fact that they could you know, put their stuff in their locker and go home and be done with the day, which is totally fine. But I think it's this piece of really knowing yourself and knowing that, you know, do you have the capacity for some of these unknowns you're talking about? You just nailed it. You know, we learned so much about ourselves and sometimes it isn't always what we thought it was going to be. <laughs> that you never stops. May it never stop. I'm enjoying, um, I'm enjoying the discovery yeah. aspect of it. Other people are challenged by that and knowing themselves and, and where they are most comfortable and, and your values change. You know, something happens with your family, it shifts the whole thing and your priorities change and that's okay too. But it's being able to see that or help somebody see that. The other thing too, I think with a lot of folks that are joining patient advocacy from the medical arena is the shift that we don't treat, we don't touch, we don't diagnose, we recognize, we educate, we communicate and, and, and push, we mitigate, we plan and have a backup plan sometimes tertiary, uh, but a lot of people think, okay, great, great, great. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang out my shingle and I'm going to do medication management and, and I've got my APRN or FMT and I can write as long as I'm, I can still write prescriptions and, and as long as I'm supervised correctly and mm -mm, not in patient advocacy, no, uh, not in patient advocacy. So the shifting from the touch tree, 
and the shifting into the managing care rather than the providing care. It's a big shift for a lot of people. Yeah, and sometimes you, but you don't know until you look at going away from that, how important that is or is not to you. Yeah. That's, that's a great thing to mention. You become the, I mean, you might've loved to play football uh, and now you're the coach. <laughs> you can't get on the field with the players anymore. You have to tell them what to do and manage them. And you know, you're, you're not the quarterback. You're the coach. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Although there are some quarterback qualities in the care management part of it, because you are looking at the moving pieces and making sure that everybody knows the plays. Exactly. And even in my work as a coach, um, uh, it's important for me to, to sit up in the press box and see the bigger picture and see that player going through the plays and to, to help direct that way. So there's a lot of ways to look at that. That's probably why it intrigues me so much. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously you've had a lot of flexibility allowance. I mean, it sounds like once you made the decision, what you were doing, you let you let the ship take you where it was going because it sounds like it evolved a couple times. Like I mean, you were boots on the ground, and now you want to train five of them instead of just help one person. You know, like training. Take us a little bit through that evolution. Then the reason I'm asking is because, yeah. sorry, uh, selfishly, when I first started, when I quit hospital, well, you know, that part time in between phase, and I started doing patient yeah. advocacy, everyone thought I was a flake. Yep. You know, because you go from, I went through this private patient advocacy training, same one that Entra does. And this wasn't a cheap program and it took up a lot of time. And then I start my business and now I think I'm going to go and do education. And now I'm in corporate wellness. And I think I'm, I, you know, I started, I collect sea glass and coaching certifications. <laughs> and oh, like God. I just, right. Uh, but it was all necessary and it was all part of my ride, even though the world looks in and goes, Oh, she'll never pick one thing. Mm-hmm. I, I won't because I'm letting, you know, I'm letting it take me. So tell us about yours, please. Thank you for letting me give you context why I was asking. Sure. <laughs> I was so young, dumb, and stupid. <laughs> I love to hear and learn more about people's rides because it, it's just important that, that we do change. I'm not going hell-bent to do one thing. Yes, the cases are going to lead me. You know, what comes in, what presents will definitely lead me. And there'll be some things that I'll pursue and go after. If I feel like I'm pretty good at uh, public speaking, then yeah, we'll take some training to get better and improve along those lines or get more savvy about this or that. But, you know, for me, I started out, (laughs) I started out with a, Microsoft Word doc, a spreadsheet, uh, um, a Google phone number, and me. And my sole intent was to do somebody some good and solve some problems and sleep well at night, you know, satisfied and happy and fulfilled. And that was it. Now, all of that still remains. I've built upon that. The cases that came in, I had just helped both of my parents as they aged and passed. So and I had sat in that EAP on the elder care team and the legal team. So those were my two big influencers, elder care and legal team. First thing I did, because I was comfortable, I went to see all the elder law attorneys and nurtured them as referral sources. The referral sources I thought I was going to have 
are not the ones that turned out to be. It, it, it was interesting. And you, you have to, sometimes I felt like, I used to say, I feel like a mosquito trying to get in the screen door. And I keep trying and trying to get through the screen. Uh, and I felt like that my my referral network, trying to build and grow that, was a bit like I was the mosquito trying, ever trying. Um, and I formed relationships with folks. And the referrals started coming in for elder care. That always begets legal. And with patient advocacy, and in my little agency, we have this thing, <laughs> we've dubbed it the uh, the beget syndrome, because, you know, you can have a medical problem and somebody is changing medically. But then that begets a housing situation, discharge to skilled nursing, discharge to assisted living, discharge, I can't go back home to that three-story condo. And and then that begets, oh, we got to look at finances because we're going to have to sell something. And, or the medical is begetting, we've got to look at the legal documents. Gosh, with the healthcare power of attorney, financial power of attorney designations. So everything's connected and one unfolds into the other. And it's always a combination of what I call the pie and medical, legal, financial, housing, insurance, and support. Six pieces to my pie and you're either dealing with one or all six or a combination. Medical, legal, and housing are frequent flyers. And so, you know, I, I saw it hitting me. More business came than I could handle. And so I reached back to some people that I worked well with. And next thing you know, I got a small but mighty agency. I have never looked back. The players have been different. You know, as I mentioned, I uh, have uh, been happy to have been part of other people's launch. And that's great. And we still cross refer, which is great. And I like it all. It's almost like I have to have the hands-on part because that's where the heart is. And that's where the stories come from that I use in teaching, that I use in coaching. The stories are there. The experiences are there. The 500 families that we've already assisted. It's easy to pull back from experience. It's easy to use those stories for when you're helping families saying, you know, this happened uh, last year. Similar situation to you, Mrs. Smith. And, uh, and next thing you know, you're rolling into a story to tell to help Mrs. Smith see that this is really doable or that Aunt, what she's going through is she's not the only one. Antra, I, I feel like she just, uh, like we prepped her because <laughs> this is the part where we like to hear those stories and you just went and collecting those stories and I'm like, okay, this is where you, you give us a, a story. <laughs> yeah. Well, the things could be going real bad in, in an elder care situation with both parents exacerbating in their unique and special ways requiring dual advocacy, if you will, with multiple providers and educating wide-eyed, deer-in-the-headlight adult children and trying to coordinate care and find resources and all of that. And sometimes it's just as, when you can find no good in anything, they've called, they found you, they care, they want answers. You know, sometimes it's just as simple as, you know, here we are at the kitchen table talking about this and let me just take a minute to tell y'all you Jenkins family how good this really is because I've dealt with people who didn't care who weren't estranged from their parents who their job is more important and yes I've had that call um here's my credit card number put her somewhere yes I've had that 
And here we are, Jenkins, at the kitchen table, and, and we have so much more going for us in this scenario. Uh, and then I used, I like to bring in the 500 families that have come before you. And, you know, it's not just you and you have me and we'll build a bigger team as the situation requires. We will build your team as is needed. And I can teach you how to do that. And there's really always a lot right with the situation, no matter how dire it is. It's so amazing, just even for nurses in the hospital to hear this, right? Yes. All of healthcare providers, but because this is for nurses, for nurses, like pointing out what's right, what's going well. I mean, that just shifts your focus. And I bet you've seen it when you point out what's going right. I bet you, I even just mentioned your clients are just like, oh, there's somebody who who sees what's good, who sees what we're doing right. And I'm also going to now get the support that I need. Right, exactly. And you can see ease come right across their face. I get it from after initial telephone calls. You know, I happen to offer uh, complimentary consultations, 20 minutes. And uh, people say, you know, I feel so much better after just talking to you. Because they can't see it. They're siloed. They, they're in it. It's all about them. And it's hitting their their windshield. And, you know, it, that's all they, they can see. That's all the energy they have or all the vision that they have. And sometimes you just need to feel like, you know, there's somebody that will walk with you here that can, that has been through it before and seen others, um, seen others succeed and triumph even. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of, a little bit of past, uh, a little bit of coaching all of us <laughs> yeah. um, you know, to make people feel like this is a can do, we can do this. Can you give us like a specific story that you went into that situation just to let nurses or social workers or someone who's thinking of going independent, a situation, you know, that you went into and like, oh my gosh, this is a mess. And then by the end, it was completely different. Yes. <laughs> 499 of the yeah. 500. No, I'm just... <laughs> um, there was... Um... Uh, one of the feather in my team's cap cases uh, was a, a, a gentleman with Parkinson's who had stayed too long in independent living and um, in kind of denial about his path. And he had a daughter who was very busy with her own job from hell. And so there was a lot on the home front. And then a lot on the work front. And there's dad who's seemingly okay until he wasn't. Dad, when I met dad, uh, he had already been fleeced by uh, scammers and lost a couple hundred thousand in fraud before he moved into this congregate uh, living. He was tacitly followed by a neurologist and well-medicated. He was with his Parkinson's changing cognitively and physically. He was starting to freeze. His mobility issues were becoming apparent. And he knew he was not a shark. So what I saw was somebody in an independent living who had a la carte services. Oh, we can get your PT add-on. <laughs> oh, and, and we, we can get this and that and transport and we can have home care right here on site and that person can stay. And and, some, and there were the classic signs, the, the bills piling up, unpaid, sometimes twice paid 
sometimes just not paid at all or uh, you know a lot of a lot of financial error no oversight at all and he was paying about fourteen thousand dollars a month between his senior independent living and all the add-on services and still making financial errors he had an attorney that had prepared some uh, a trust a couple of trusts for him in his, his wills and such uh, and they had not been revisited his daughter had been designated as power of attorney. His daughter was not well liked by the senior community. They they saw her as uh, well. She just you know drives up in the portico uh, and and dumps him off when they do something together or when there is a family holiday. She'll pick him up and then she'll just dump him off in the portico. She won't even go up to his apartment with him and man. And so there was a lot of we they and animosity there. That daughter did not even know she had been designated as power of attorney. She didn't, and because she didn't know of her designation, she didn't know of her role, her rights and responsibilities as the agent with power of attorney. And she just saw dad so infrequently that she didn't notice much change. And so we had to revisit with the attorney to make sure that the documents were set and would do the things that we needed them to do all the way down the road, including her as designated um, agent with power of attorney. Oh, and his financial plan. He hadn't seen his financial planner in seven years and he, he died. <laughs> and so there was no financial professional. So we had to make a big deal um, so to find another person to, to advise him. And I, I was able to produce some candidates for him to, to interview. And we did that together and he made a selection and I'm glad he did. The daughter realizing the gravity of the situation and now realizing change, dad's freezing. Dad has to go to the neurologist. And so we're getting into the, uh, you know, we're waiting the six months for the neurology appointment and uh, not getting a lot of good traction with the doctors on call that, that visit in the senior living. You know, they were like mandate and couldn't get a lot done there for hastening that neurological appointment so that we could affect some change, maybe get a little closer with medication given his Parkinson's. Daughter didn't know what to do. And I told her, you know, I said, all right, you know, you're the understudy. And you're going on stage eventually. You're going to learn your lines, so to speak. You're going to learn where to stand on stage. I will be on the stage for you, and I will teach you your role, Ms. Understudy, and then you're going on. And by gum, she did. You know, he was changing, and he was having events. And they send him out to the hospital, this or that, or, or because that was their policy. And the hospital can do really nothing except send him back to the independent living who has then has the the um, decision whether or not we're going to let him back you know whether or not we're going to let him back and so i'm balancing all that and, and the daughter stepped in and the uh, the granddaughter developed a better relationship with uh, my client the granddad and the daughter knew what she was doing she started to sit in on plan of care meetings she started getting conferenced in by phone from the job from hell but into doctor's appointments. I would accompany the doctor's appointments. Everybody knew what their role was. Dad continued to decline. He needed assisted living. We did that search and that 
whole um, eligibility and transition and move. And he you know, was showing um, auditory and, and visual hallucinations and um, the cognitive problems kept coming. And daughter rose to it all. Daughter rose to it all, and uh, you know the plans, of, the plan of care with the doctors, the care plan meetings, in the assisted living facility. Everybody handled it just great, right on to the end of my client's life and beyond. And it was a beautiful thing to sit there in honor at the funeral service with the main home care provider, his his aide, with my daily money manager colleague that had come in and helped with the financial professional and, uh, you know, to sit there in honor of this gentleman after his death, that was just phenomenal. But that's how it rolls. And yes, it was long. That was about two years, but man, everybody, everybody became confident and knew what their role was, knew how to execute it and would call me if they had any questions. And Nancy, what's so beautiful about that story is just like that man got treated with respect. Yes, he did. He got his daughter back. He got, and then he died with dignity. So often we see just mistreatment of the elderly in the hospitals with my own clients. And I think that's such a beautiful piece of what advocates can do, you know, for nurses that want to be advocates you're a huge care coordinator, right? And a teacher. We Nurses already do that, right? We yes, do they do. Room. We do that on med surge. We do that in ICU. Like, we already do that. So you can take that into a business, and you already know that part. But just holding their hands and supporting them and giving him that that dignity, and, and I just love it. What I love about your story that's just as poignant is we're all going to die. How are you going to do it? You're going to let the plane crash into the mountain or you're going to let it land softly in a field. And that's what you did. And it's just as vital. Nancy, where does this, I'm going to show you what's right. We're going to talk about what's good. Where does that come from? I am an optimist. As soon as the phrase was coined about the glass half full, I was on board with that. You know, now I'm, I'm like <laughs> so much more full than half. I take my cues from inside, Nancy, as opposed to to taking cues from outside and and people and opinions. I've seen what I can do. I've got my sea legs now. Didn't always happen, but I've got my sea legs. I know what's possible. And um, I want to affect that that outcome. I'm not Pollyanna. Matter of fact, somebody accused me of being all Pollyanna and I had to look up Pollyanna and see what that was all about, you know, and because maybe I am too optimistic sometimes and not sensitive enough to the overwhelm. I have to be sensitive that I may not be sensitive enough to to overwhelm. Usually I'm eye to eye and ear to ear and heart to heart with people. But, you know, there are times that I could be a little too chipper for somebody. But that's just nothing but hope. That's just no, nothing but hope. The medical situations bring about that need quite often. Quite often. I I would love to apply that optimism and hope to a conversation that Andre and I had really recently. We actually we got we like by, we got off the phone and I thought we were going to start a new business or some kind of organization like another one. But all of the I got I can almost like start crying immediately when I think about all the people the seniors who are just left alone 
<laughs> I get mm-hmm. nobody to visit them. Yeah. And what yeah. can we do? Like, it, like if their families are too busy or they're estranged or they're gone or they're alone, like this is a pox and a sin that has been perpetrated for years and years and they're vulnerable to abuse and neglect and there's nobody to just go I'm sorry (laughs) there's nobody to go in there and just hold their hands so we're like there's so many people who would want to do something like is there an organization like friends of seniors go in and you know just and people who are skilled like you like nurses who can go in and go you know she's not crazy you she don't need Ativan. She's got a urinary tract infection. You know, like you know. Uh, but it's just like what you were saying. It's so overwhelming that you just talk about it and you cry about it, and then nothing gets done because it, for me, it's like it couldn't go fast enough. So the I guess what we're doing now is talking about it more, and you know, and you took the words right out of my mouth. You know, there's a lot of ways to serve, and we can serve in more than one way. Having the conversation is big. Writing a blog and sharing it is big. Having a kitchen table, I call it kitchen table advocacy, where you're sitting with a family and saying, this is how it's going to go, and what are your questions, and here's what we do next, and here's what we don't have to worry about. Yeah. Uh, there's people that design design services. There's people that work on the social media that get the 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 nurses and social workers of the world connected to the people that need them there's eligibility specialists there are people that need to bang the drum on tv and podcasts there's a so many ways to serve build a website that's service that's absolute service because you're putting up the billboard so american on uh, riding on their highway can see that there are solutions or options or shepherds or 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, for me you know i can get hung up in a lot of the tragic and i try to look at the magic uh, and do what i can and a lot of it is banging a drum for me and a lot of it might be you know knee to knee with that client who's just got a stunning diagnosis we've been given a lot you know as as nurses social workers people in the helping profession we've got our expertise nobody can take that from us but boy can we apply it liberally (laughs) Um, lather rinse repeat (laughs) i mean it does make the one client at a time after listening to you because i kind of got mired in the slog a little bit of like no it's got to be everybody it has to be the standard of care it does bring me back to sowing the seeds of change that we want to see even if it's one patient at a time even if it's we're planting this garden and we're not alive to see it because it's the next generation that's going to take it the next step right i mean you're you're doing that by by everything that you're talking about by being the megaphone by having the conversations by taking one patient at a time and so it's a it's a it's a good reminder i think for us all that the service especially in the helping professions is just what it is and it's helpful right if we're coming from that place if we're coming from that place of i want to help and it doesn't matter if it's one patient at a time it, that's right there's a lot of ways to serve and we need people in each of those ways mm-hmm. yeah and we need people to do it all we need people in every function in within healthcare, and then all of the support 
of the people who were de de delivering. Mm -hmm. You know, gosh, my team member that is the virtual admin, none of what I do, she propels, she enables, she's behind the scenes, but absolutely key, as is anyway. Somebody that designs a brochure is key. Somebody that answers the phone is key. Somebody that coordinates volunteers is key. There's so many ways, and I get very excited about that. Well, and, and it's so cool because, like, Karen and I talk a lot about the urgency train and when somebody's diagnosed with, like, cancer, for example, how it's so easy to get right on that urgency train, train make a quick decision. But you're kind of like what I'm hearing is, like, and we don't have to be on the urgency train of change healthcare in one day. Like, I love just the sort of, yes, we can do one patient at a time. Yes, it has a ripple effect. Yes, everybody collaborates. They're all key pieces. Like, it's just, we don't have to be on the urgency train, which I sometimes find myself getting on because I just want it to change. Sure. Yeah. I can understand that. I uh, love that. Uh, my sister has a phrase and she holds one finger in the air and she says, at the speed of government. <laughs> and you know, it, which is sad. <laughs> sad, sad what the speed of government can be. But a lot of times we can speed things up, but there's a lot of times that we need to take a minute to make that informed decision. So let's do the informed part and you know, yeah. eyes wide open part. And like we were talking about, both in patient advocacy or, or eyes wide open to people who are considering patient advocacy. Because mm -hmm. it is a know thyself and it's going to be a know, you're going to know yourself better. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because you're going to evolve. And it absolutely is so cool. And that's why I've never looked back after July 8th, 2013. Hadn't all been great. Hadn't all been Pollyanna. And have I learned? And I've gotten a little better at, at a lot of the things that I do, but the learning, you know, the learning and the helping is absolutely tremendously gratifying. And, and may it never stop, you know. Good good segue into the old Chinese proverb. Uh, uh, he who finishes his house dies. So let us never finish our houses. You know, let's keep going. Drops Mike. <laughs> Nancy, do you work across state lines? Like, do you consult? And who do you serve? How do people get a hold of you? Sure. How do how do nurses find you if they want That's to do right. business? That's exactly right. I'm two faced. <laughs> uh, on the patient advocacy side, the name of my agency in Raleigh, North Carolina, is Navigate NC, and so it has a website, navigatenc.com, and. On that website, you can see uh, where we're involved in elder care and chronic care. Now, let me take just a second to say that, you know, as many, many of your listeners will probably know, patient advocates can serve in a number of ways, everything from medical billing, insurance disputes, cancer navigation, medical tourism, uh, pediatric care. Elder care is what's hitting the fan in America, so a lot of us are there. Uh, and so for me, it's elder care, chronic care, adult, 18 and up for me. And then we have lots of professional organizations. You know, we've got the AFA, Alliance of Professional Health Care Advocates. Then there's NAC, which is National Alliance of Healthcare Advocacy Consultants. Uh, there's a wonderful national directory called uh, Greater National Advocates, and their website is gnanow.org. 
Yeah, Brad, Brad was on our podcast. He's oh, good, a, good, good. Amazeballs. Uh, oh, yeah, he is. And then um, health, Healthcare Advocate X is another one. So there are a lot of professional organizations on the patient, on the coaching side. Uh, I'm Nancy Ruffner, and so I have nancyruffner.com. Both sides offer complimentary consultations. If folks want to train with me, I've got coaching packages, everything from a single call to see if we mesh, and then packages. I, I have free monthly webinars uh, that I do on the fourth Tuesday of every month, and so I'm always offering courses. I speak at a number of national conferences. Um, one population that I love to speak to, with, for, about uh, are solo agers, uh, aka solos, aka elder orphans, people who are aging without the benefit of built-in family. And that's a pet population for me because I'm one. <laughs> I don't, I'm not married, don't have children, don't have any built-in caregivers, but it's a broader definition and People are always wanting to know, well, what do I do to prepare? You do have your toes dipped in a lot of different pools. It's amazing. It's fun. Yeah, it's so cool. I love it. It was so fun to finally talk to you. Oh yeah. my goodness. Like... Yeah. The anticipation held up to the actual event. We are connected now. And you know what? Conversations like this, dialogues like this, let's just say first of many. Absolutely. I agree. For yeah, sure. for sure. Thanks, Nancy. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, Nancy. <laughs> you guys, that's a wrap. What a great podcast. If you're a nurse, head over to www.rnegade.pro. Follow the prompts, do the activity, fill out the evaluation for the podcast that you just listened to, and get a CE. Could we just make CE by podcast the norm, please? Bye. You guys, that's a wrap. What a great podcast. If you're a nurse, head over to www.rnegade.pro. Follow the prompts, do the activity, fill out the evaluation for the podcast that you just listened to, and get a CE. Could we just make CE by podcast the norm, please? Bye.